If you were wearing sneakers, then you'd be silent. I'm wearing live cats. Welcome to iPodcast Magic Missile, where we play games and talk geek. Broadcasting every week from the New River Valley in the beautiful mountains of Southwest Virginia, we bring you audio from some of the most exciting games, new and old. No actual wizard spells here, just actual play from great games. This is iPodcast Magic Missile. Now, what have you been playing besides grad school? Uh, the, the only game I've been doing since grad school uh, is I've been working on writing campaign rules for Warhammer Fantasy. I've been doing that about three hours every day. That's a whole lot of yeah. writing rules for Warhammer Fantasy. Holy crap, really? Yes. Dang. That's as much work as I put into it when I did it all those previous earlier times. Well, it, it requires it. I just didn't expect other people to belabor She's a every lady. article and She's a sentence lady. fragment the way I do. The Warhammer Fantasy campaign is a fixture of fun and games. Every single game that happens in fun and games, with the exception of maybe a handful a month, are Warhammer Fantasy campaign games. Except in between the campaigns. Except in between the campaigns, which is only... Also, you, you actually kind of misspoke there because you said every single game. I think you mean every single Warhammer Fantasy game. That's true, every single Warhammer Fantasy game. But when I say game, I of course mean Warhammer Fantasy game. Uh, what about you, Yoni? What have you been... Uh, I have been playing Cursed Treasure 2, which is a tower defense game on the interwebs that is cute and freaking addictive as hell. Also got to play Formula D and Love Letter yesterday. I like Love Letter a lot. And I guess they reprinted it, because they're advertising it on stuff that I read. I'm seeing a bunch of it on G+. Well, then we will have to try and get it at the we store again. Probably get Love Letter. I would buy awesome. a copy of that game. What's Love Letter? Love Letter is a very simple uh, competitive uh, multiplayer card game where there are... Uh, the idea is that you're trying to get a love letter from the princess, I think? Yeah. Is that the... Yeah. Okay. And so the person who has the princess card in their hand last... Oh, I remember. I've you, played this game before. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, there's 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 ranks one through nine and the princess is nine and each of the cards when you 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 have one card in your hand you draw a card and then you play a card so you're typically only holding one card except I think in the two player game um, and uh, each card when you play it has an effect uh, and cards in your hand have um, have a, can have effects too like so one card is like name a card look at the other player's hand if the cards in that hand they lose they're out. So the idea is that a lot of these things will knock other players out of the game. But it's a very quick game, and you can play multiple <coughs> rounds. And the idea is you, you get points for each round. and Gain favor with the princess. Gain favor with the princess. First person to get four wins. Yep. It's, it's, a, it's a really neat game. It plays fast. It's a lot of fun. And there's actually some strategy to it. Although not a ton, because a lot of it is luck-based, since you only have one card. And you're drawing it random. I like that game almost as much as I like Get Bit. And for the same reasons. What is Get Bit? Get Bit is it's a shark game. Yeah, it's yeah, a little robot. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. When you, you, you put the other guy in the back and they get the leg pulled yeah. off. And yeah, it has the Lego shark. I, yeah. I love both of them because they're a what is someone thinking game. Yes. yes I love is. those. Yeah, I bet you do. <laughs> well, that, it's, is all, that is well written all over. But it's, <laughs> but it's, it's a fast enough game that even if you lose, it's still fun. It was, uh, and you can screw people. Because if you get behind, you can play spoiler. Which is also a way to make being in the back fun. Give people a blue shell. Uh, Will, uh, or no, Yanni, I should say. Um, Yanni represented Get Bit to me as a game uh, advertising itself for being used to determine who will go first in another game. I I made that up. That was not like how it was advertised to me. I just, I think it's a good idea because it's a 10 minute game. I I chose my words carefully. On each round of love letters, about 10 minutes, you can do the same thing with that whoever gets the princess or whoever's last. (gasps) Gets to go Could first. be. It, be it can go sense. longer, especially if everybody is as <clears throat> except for me is getting favor. I, I got. Well, no, I, no, no. I'm, I'm not telling you about getting points. I'm just telling you you play one round and whoever ends up uh, with the princess or oh, yeah. survives. I want to take a small aside to note that the album title for all these songs on the Group Shark playlist here is "All Gr- All Drums Go To." Probably and then dot dot dot. <laughs> it could be heaven. Okay, no, it's holy hell. <laughs> but there's two steps from hell. I really wanted to know which where all drums were going to go when they die? Question mark. Well, all yeah. dogs go to heaven. All drums go to hell. I see. GI Joe Retaliation soundtrack. Three hundred soundtrack. 
I thought Lord it was of the Rings. I thought it was goats go to hell. Sheep go to heaven. Goats go to hell. Anyway, wow. so what have you been up to? <laughs> uh, I have been arguably meta gaming because, as well as been writing the rules for the new fantasy campaign, I have been uh, attempting to put the players in neatly organized rows. Uh, in anticipation of that campaign starting, the the uh, anticipation of, of beginning the campaign is palpable. People are dying to uh, start play. Literally dying. I mean, somebody was literally dead on the floor. No, I never say anything literally. Uh, the anyway, we, right now we've basically been spending two weeks trying to debate when during the week the meatly the meatly weeking. The weekly meeting <laughs> campaign will occur, uh, and it's been something of an adventure. We started with a Facebook survey mm-hmm. that allowed people to add additional choices beyond the choices that had already been presented. At least one person, it was Duncan, added an option that he himself could not even attend and voted for it, out of spite for it not being on the list, because it seemed overtly absent. That was Saturday evening. Pathfinder yeah. Society meets on Saturday evening. I, I know. Also, <laughs> a substantial fraction of the like staple Warhammer fantasy players are at my house watching Attack on Titan Saturday <laughs> evening. So it just seemed like it wasn't worth putting on there, but Duncan was like... Someone, someone asked, hey, how come Saturday evening's not an option? And so Duncan put Saturday evening on there. And apparently you can't add an option on a Facebook survey without voting for it automatically. Oh, there you go. Well, that, that seems does more make reasonable. Sense. So you can't just be a douche and put a whole bunch of random shit on there that no one cares about. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, you, you can still do that, but you don't get your vote then. The other thing I've been working on is transitioning between two point of sale systems. Oh, oh I've heard. Oh God, my life. So you're transitioning to an open source point of sale system that is web based and therefore gives you the ability to run multiple points of sale mm. around the room. We However, can... it's. Its, its features are either different or missing compared to your old point-of-sale system from what you've said. Yeah. Yeah, we're going backwards in functionality hard. My manager has moved from unhappy but keeping an open mind because it might just be that it's new and different to seriously considering advocating for going back to the old system and just abandoning the multiple POS plan that we had been putting in play. Well, it's, that that, P- it's that, that bad. That POS is a real POS. But our POS is... The old one was too, though. I know. Well, our old POS, though, is self-destructing. That's true. It is in the process of it. Yeah, uh, so going back may not actually be an option. Uh, I don't know. Not if we want to know what we sold. We could delete all records. Like, for example, in October, we could, when we start the next month, we could delete all records and start over from scratch. Cricket chirp. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, it's just not... I thought the problem with the old one was because of the attempt to make the old one go multi-POS. It may have been. I mean, we we never had a problem with it before, but I believe that it, the source was that one night it crashed. Mm. You know, Start corrupting files, and because there's yeah. no... Do you have a backup system for that? Uh, yes, we have a backup system for that. However, the backup system can't save us. Uh, unless we want to sacrifice the back half of August. Which, now that August is over and we've paid taxes for it, actually isn't off the, uh, isn't off the table. Um, but at the time, we didn't want to lose all of our August sales in sales figures in order to gain everything from August 12th and earlier. 12th yeah. was when it crashed. Um, the system was back up on the 15th. We just lost the 13th and the 14th, and they'll never be found. Uh, but, I mean, we had been working on transitioning over this new system slowly for months. It's open source. It required actually downloading a number of different modules and socketing them together. I'm, I'm given to understand Conrad has been working on this. And you know Conrad. His mind is a machine that transforms all matter into some other state of matter. <laughs> That's funny. I cannot imagine that anything Conrad spends three months working on is... An achievable task in another man's lifetime. That's sort of how I uh, how I estimate tasks. I when I'm estimating a task, I estimate the amount of time it will take me to do it, with a little bit of fudge factor for unknown unknowns. If I then have to hand that task over to someone else, I double it. 
Oh, you're a far less arrogant man than I. <laughs> if I had to have Van Task over to somebody else, uh, there needs to be an arrow in me. I'm like, with my dying breath, I give you this task. And omit that I do not believe you can achieve I used achieve to be it. working on this, but then I took it hour to the knee. You know, it's interesting. <laughs> I learned something about the phrase, I took an arrow to the knee. So, that's a phrase that is an old, old colloquial for getting married. Really? Yes. That's funny. So that actually makes way more sense. In Why that all these goddamn guards took an arrow to the knee. Yeah. Interesting. So, all kinds of a different statement. <laughs> well, I'd like to imagine there's some kind of Cupid's arrow analogy there. Apparently it's independent, but maybe, I don't know, it, it sounds implausible that it would be independent. It, it, it sounds like the sort of random euphemism somebody would come up with, in uh, the maybe ages. a fighting man type person in the Middle yeah. Ages, and then just stuck. Yeah. There's a lot of that in English. There's a lot of that in every language. Um, so I, um, I haven't done a tremendous amount of, um game playing because last weekend was filled with seeing the wife for the first time in three months. Nice. Seeing as she's been on mass, like, like horrific rotations. Did she look the same? Mostly, yeah. Well, that's good. She wore a pretty dress one day. It was nice. You can identify her. Yes. Yes, I remember. <laughs> like, I know that like, woman. I married it. <laughs> but on, um, on Tuesday night, uh, we were going to have our once every three weeks or so Apocalypse World game online, um, but one of the players was just getting over a serious cold and couldn't talk. So instead, we played being a role-playing game on the topic of the high-flying adventures of Beatrice Henrietta Bristol-Smythe DBE, daring aviatrix and accomplished exploratrix, and her gentleman companion, who for a modest fee accompanies Beatrice Henrietta Bristol-Smythe DBE when the occasion warrants her an escort. Which is a one-page free RPG that is hilarious. That sounds awesome. Wow, and most of the page is the title. Yep. (laughs) Blake is not kidding. I have it up on my computer right now. Um... (laughs) Uh, the second page is the questionnaire that the per, the potential gentleman companions have to fill out. Um, I was chosen as the gentleman companion. Oh my. Yes, because I answered the question, when confronted by a raging lion in the heart of darkest Africa, the most appropriate course of action is... And there are various italicized and capitalized words in that sentence, which you cannot fully appreciate unless you go look at this thing online. But you can find this. Because it's free, and you can you can you can Google it. You know, anyway, it reminds me of the um, the way they would frequently write the headlines in Victorian era newspapers. That's this this what this is. Although I think this is because she's an aviatrix. It's probably you know, you know, early twentieth century. But either way, um, generally, generally the the rule is that the uh, that one player it was Jen played Beatrix or Beatrice Henrietta Bristol Smythe DBE. Um, I played the gentleman companion. And uh, uh, Lee played the natives. Oh my! And uh, the, the the begins with a plane crash, and and the rules are, um, Beatrice is always right, <laughs> even when her experience, even when she's contradicting the experiences of the natives who live there, she is always right. Nice. <laughs> she's never in any danger. You sure, this isn't Victorian. It's it's supposed to feel like Victorian. Okay. Um, her gentleman companion, however, must fend for himself. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and the, Beatrice, however, can only make three positive assertions the entire game. The rest of the game is the gentleman companion asking her about the situation, to which she must give an answer, and that answer is the truth, regardless of what anyone else has said. <laughs> it is it is a hilarious game. It's oh, a lot of fun. Amazing. Yeah, I, I, and I basically I, 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 just I, I, described I, the whole game right there, so you can play it now without even looking it up. <laughs> Handy. What um, was... I, I'm sorry, I cut you off. You didn't actually answer. What was... The most appropriate response when confronted by a ch- raging lion in the I, heart. I, I, I'm of trying to remember the exact that. phrasing because I had it written down, but I did not save the file. I mean, far be it for me to judge a man for forgetting his life-defining shit. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I believe I said that that the proper answer was um, that you simple, you simply, you simply. I think you, I think you sort of stand firm and 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 gaze at the lion with something about a look of. Uh, demonstrating that you are an Englishman and therefore uh, the pinnacle of evolution. <laughs> and the lion will realize its place and go hunt some more appropriate prey. <laughs> nice. So uh, I think I think uh, Lee said something about running and hiding. I would have given him the Scotsman's answer. Kick him in the jimmies! <laughs> well. Um, it might have been better than running and hiding. 
It depends on the lion. As long as you don't give, as long as you give the the Irish answer, and I don't know what that is, but the the it specifically says that Beatrice has been everywhere in the world except for America due to the abundance of Irishmen. <laughs> wait, <laughs> wait, don't wait, 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 hold up, oh, nope, don't hold up. We're going full speed, full <laughs> speed ahead, right past this analogy. You can observe it in the rearview mirror. <laughs> Um, so we were going to talk about today, uh, speaking of gaming, we're going to talk about sort of the evolution of, not of gaming, but of the gamer. Uh, if I may, th- Go ahead. Uh, I, this was my idea um, before the recording started, and I was, uh, it came upon me uh, when at the store earlier today, um, a young man bemoaned, it was Jacob, I don't know if you know him, but I do not he know him. Uh, bemoaned that he has uh, spectated our... Dungeon World campaign on Sundays more than once. Mm-hmm. Though he did not know that it was Dungeon World. He called it a D- your D&D game on Sundays. And it took me a while to put two and two together. To figure out what he was talking about. Yeah, yeah I was like, we, don't play on, we haven't played on Sundays since before you... Because I thought he was talking about the One Piece campaign. Yeah, yeah. Right? And I was like, that, that hasn't been... I, I feel as though that, that stopped before you started coming here. But anyway. Uh, when it finally came to the fact of the matter that he'd been watching the game and he wished to play with us but didn't feel... Like he could just, you know, like he didn't want to just invite himself and say, hey, can I join your, your guys' game? Also, I told him, you know, we have ten people. We have ten freaking people. <laughs> yes, we do. And even if three to four of them are absent on any given week. Well, well not only that, but we're using all of the classes. There, there, are, no, there are no additional playbooks to use at this point. They're, they're all used. Wow. Yeah. I didn't, that, that was the case of eight, four. eight core mm-hmm. playbooks plus Barbarian, mm. which is the ninth core playbook. Yeah. Mm. That's all of them. So, anyway. anyway. Um, and, uh, but he also, like, I, I guess he views certainly the three of us and, you know, our, our direct appendages, um, also High Cove, as sort of a clique of D&D people. Uh, I, I, I never had an appreciation for this concept before, but apparently in the, in the fun and games, like in the... The, the sense of, that other people at Fun and Games have, you know, because we have a high rate, rate of churn mm. in these students. Most people at Fun and Games aren't there for a decade like most of us have been. Um, Except for this guy. Well, you know, a, a year with Will feels like three. So... That bad? What? <laughs> the, um, the point is that uh, we are viewed by the other people as like the D&D old-timers club. We're at the Grognards? No, we're not. No, it's not It's not Grognards. It's more like the, um... Elite? Are we pinnacles? Yeah. Huh? We're pinnacles of Dungeons and Dragons? Uh, yeah. We're the, we're the gentlemen with pith helmets drinking tea around the fire at the lodge. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we're... So you were saying, yeah, so we're the, we're the old... We're the old, the old folks. The point is, we're viewed with a, with a certain... With certainly a, a heavy measure of respect. Yeah. Um, but also a small amount of like on unapproachability, unapproachability, like that. That well, you know, they're going to be in their games, and they're just playing a different game than the rest of us. Even when we're playing the same game as them, we're playing a different game than the rest of them. And you know what? They're right. They're right. No, they're play, absolutely right. When we play Fourth Edition D anD D, we are not playing the same game as the Encounters Night guys. No, God no. And that got me thinking about you know well. Because Jacob wants to join this clique. He wants to be in a High Cove run campaign. Based solely on the way we threaten people with a High Cove run campaign. <laughs> uh, he wants to be, you know, in the games, run, in the story, you know, in the games run by Dave. He wants to see what this stuff is like because we just, you know, all of us, when we play D&D, we just play it with this confidence and authority of growing up in it. And he's interested in, in getting some of what we're drinking. But... I thought to my, I asked him. I was like, "Well, well, confidence authority." I actually would like to add something to that. I think part of it is that the players in our campaigns feel like they can contribute to the fiction. Yeah, that it's not just the DM show. Oh yeah, even yeah. in the High Cove campaign. Well, but this, that also speaks to what I'm talking. Yeah, about. Well, go ahead. It, yeah. yeah, so yeah, forgive me for monologuing for like no, the no, first fifteen. This is a good monologue. Like, continue. The um, <laughs> what was I saying? I asked. I'll him, MC when I need to. Go ahead. I asked him. When uh, what? How many? How long have you been playing D anD D? He said like two or three, two or three years. I'm like how many characters have you played? And he's like, oh, probably more than thirty. I was like, okay. Tell me about your favorite character. What was your favorite character? Or, I, I no, I didn't say favorite. I chose my words carefully. I said, uh, when you look back over your characters, which one are you the happiest about? 
And he said, My warlord. End of answer. Yep. And then I thought to myself, er, so then I... I see where you're going with this. Yeah, so then I asked him on greater detail. I was like, okay, well, what did you like about that character? And you said, and he said, well... Or I asked him the character's name. And he said, I didn't play the character long enough for him to have a name. He got thrown off of a tower at the end of the first session. <laughs> then I asked him what he liked about the character, and he basically described the functionality of a 4th edition D&D warlord. He's like, well, I like standing in the middle of the party and... Uh, What's the what's it when you when you are fat and you eat and someone hands you the food that person is your abilitator uh, enabler enabler yes. he likes <laughs> he likes sitting in the middle of the party and enabling everyone else in the party to to you know be awesome be awesome yeah and I thought to myself that sounds like the early developmental <laughs> sort of pupil stage of the kind of person we are because he's he's identified on something that's not just beat the monster and t- beat up the monster and take our stuff but he's not yet at the point where he for example names a character before playing them or identifies a character by anything other than their class and I'm reminded of that story that Highcove tells which we probably should save for a story time well it's okay to bring it up because I think you guys will go way more into depth with it well it's, it's a pretty short story yeah. he's just uh, I, I know that one of his proudest moments as a DM was the first session he sat down and he asked everyone at the table what they what their character was. And everyone went around and described their character, and not a single person mentioned class. Which campaign was this? I think it was the good campaign. <laughs> that, 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 that sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that's exactly what yeah. Because you were a builder, I was and a I was a world... Yeah, you were a contractor, and I was a world traveler, and Gloves was a back-alley tough or something, along, something to that end, and Laura was... What was Laura? A pretty elf. She might actually told her, she might actually describe herself as a wait, was she a ranger? She was a cleric. I know she was a cleric. She used a bow though. Yeah, because she's an elf. You know what? She might have she might have described herself as a cleric of and then whatever god she was talking yeah. about. And then maybe he maybe Heiko even said a thing. He's like, you know, I'm married to the only one that didn't give the answer <laughs> that I liked. <laughs> and then I probably said something like, Well, you can't marry us, not in Virginia. Anyway, the uh not yet. <laughs> Give it a decade. Anyway, yeah. the uh, so the point is that I was judging him, and I was like, well, you're not ready to play with us because you describe your character as a class and put a period on the end of the sentence, and that was it. Um, <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm a jerk. <laughs> but, you know, he. I mean... It's a teachable moment, though. It was it's what a, the conversation was about. Yeah. It, Jacob it, is a really good kid. I don't. I don't I, mind being. I don't feel bad about being mean to Jacob because I know that he takes everything in a constructive manner, even outright insults. Yeah. So like, I think. I think part yeah. of it too is like, so that is an evolution that you have to have organically. Organically, if you're coming from D and D and computer games, if you started with Fiasco. Then the evolution that you have is is perhaps a different evolution. There's a different growth path. There is the learning how to basically be a screenwriter path. The mm-hmm. the idea of how do you frame scenes, how do you set up interesting interpersonal interactions, how do you stop being like I want to get what I want for my character in every scene, as opposed to I want to have something interesting happen and I don't care what happens to my character whether they get what they want, like. So there's there's actually several different sort of conversion paths, and I think in the end we all we all sort of proceed through all of those paths. But you're right, coming from the tr- more traditional games, it's that getting away from the rules and more towards the fiction it, it, it is a big evolution. That's you huge. can be put into that role, uh, though. I have had even less Dungeons and Dragons experience than him. Mm. Standing here right now, I have less Dungeons and Dragons experience than he has. It's true. And being part of that group, being put into your group, right. it, it allowed me to learn these things and learn how to be a good gamer. I think you can you can have that bleed over. You absolutely can, but you're also coming from a place that's very actorly, and you also love characters. That that if, if I had one criticism, honestly, of your playstyle, it is that you that even in games that say play a person, you play a character. That'd be my only criticism. Like, you're very good at having these very evocative, uh, often very entertaining or engaging characters. And that's your primary reason for, like, 
that's that's the primary reason when you're playing, not so that you can hit somebody and do a bunch of damage. Although I think you'd like the rules. I mean, we're all sort of crunchy-headed people. We like the rules part of it too. But it'll be interesting watching the um, the Monster Hunter campaign go on and to see where Will goes with this because we've dropped him smack dab in a fairly controversial, a mechanically controversial character in a mechanically controversial party in Pathfinder. Yeah. I have a cannon. <laughs> They're playing Pathfinder, and I'm playing some other game. You're playing 40K. No, you're playing Pathfinder. You're playing Pathfinder. It doesn't matter if he rolls a 40K-esque number of dice. He is playing Pathfinder. That's, this is exactly the kind of bullshit they try to pull off in Pathfinder society all the time. Well, that's because it's Pathfinder society. Well, I don't fire every turn. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> Don't misunderstand me. <laughs> I think that the like after having one session this way, I think it totally accentuates our party. I really want this to be how our party functions. I want other people to look and be like, "Dang, that is broken. Those guys are taking out monsters twice their level." <laughs> well, and it kind of makes sense because that's sort of our job. Yeah. It's like up to you know at fifteen feet or less, the regular the regular team goes after it. At sixteen feet or more. They send in the monster hunters. <laughs> <laughs> the um, so are there any other elements of the like? I definitely see like the the like I could list a, I could list off a few things I think in story games that that are are, are sort of a natural evolution. If even if you've just come in through that and you're never in the D and D, can anyone else think of any like the the, the fiasco? You, you mentioned fiasco, and that was actually a kind of a revelation for me playing that first Western one where I got shot, and then I, like, shot the sheriff and the doctor, and I got shot again, and I rode off into the sunset, tied to my horse, and bleeding to death. And that was, like, one of the best games I've ever played. But that was a terrible outcome for my character. But it was a great story. And, like, coming from more traditional gaming, you want your character to win. Yep. I think Yanni has the longest... Uh, as point, I think Yanni has the longest D&D career of anybody here. It's true. Perhaps combined. That might also be true. <laughs> I played very sporadically from high school through graduate school. So, I, I mean, I might have played three or four campaigns total. It, you know, and, and, and County Savannah Greyhawk, not County 4th Edition, but County Savannah Greyhawk, probably, that might have been my fourth or fifth D&D campaign ever, and one of them was like a one-shot. So I actually played almost... But I played a ton of computer games, including a ton of D&D computer games. Almost as much Shadowrun as I played D&D. And you played some White Wolf as well. Yeah, I played... Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't play White Wolf till college, actually. Okay. Um... In high school, we played mostly Shadowrun and D&D, but we also played uh, a lot of Call of Cthulhu and Paranoia and Toon and GURPS and, like, five or six other, like, edge case games. Like, there was a horror game that I want to say began with a P, and I can never... I can't find it. I, I don't know what it is. The it, um, Penumbra? Nope. Okay. The, um... So, so... But you did you so you say you say before you played Fiasco. Oh, I mean that was sort of an eye-opening game for you. But mm-hmm. you had the same tendencies, like I'm up for my character. I just want to win, kind of. To, to some extent, I mean, I I liked the idea of story, and you know, I just had a hard time finding games that really supported that. And then seeing Fiasco and some of the other indie games, and seeing oh, you can have a story, and it's not just about gaining mechanical advantage to win the role-playing game. Uh, yeah, that's kind of what I liked about Paranoia, is th- th- there's no way you can gain mechanical advantage in Paranoia. Um, you, you don't win Paranoia. You, If you're lucky, you get to the, the briefing with only one or two clones down. Um, it, it, it's, it's about the interaction in the story, and that's all that really matters. And there's mechanics there, but technically the players aren't allowed to know the rules. The rules are in the ultraviolet clearance, and if you admit to knowing the rules, the DM is totally allowed to kill you, because that's treason. <laughs> and then you bring out a new clone who totally didn't read the rules. <laughs> I know that, um, I feel like paranoia sometimes kind of blurs the line between a role-playing game and a board game, though. I, I know. Well, I mean, you certainly play a role in it, right? Uh, it's certainly silently on the on the role playing game side, but I feel like it reaches over the line a little bit because of the fact that uh, a the players are supposed to compete with each other, um, and that there's no there's not really any freedom on that. I've seen paranoia games where the players fail to compete and the ga- and the system just melts. It just does not work. That's um, really funny. 
Because a lot of the a lot of the, a lot of the criticism of games is that the PvP, PvP mechanics, even for games like Apocalypse World, aren't spectacular. Uh, but so it's like the other way around, and then Paranoia, the 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 the, the cooperation rules don't exist. As a brief aside, um, I've learned something about that. In uh, we were talking earlier about uh, Will has been designing the Warhammer Fantasy uh, campaign rules. Because it's interesting to me how in D&D games, it's frequently, especially like third edition D&D games with players who have learned, have played enough to have a mastery of the system, but not enough to have gotten over the play-to-win mentality, um, that the players frequently fall into competing with one another. Especially the ones who think they're into story. Because they always find a story excuse for their characters to, to be a butt to heads character. with other yeah. players, you know, standing apart from the rest of the party and mood lighting shadow, etc. The um, <laughs> uh, on the other hand, but then for some reason, when we were designing in the Warhammer campaign, we always have a problem generating conflict between players. Everyone just wants to band up into uh, like massive teams, massive. Uh, uh, peace trees and try and go along what to I get along and that, just share the wealth what I would say <laughs> is like, that, 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 that that likely is an indication I'm that, that punches B it's not a B it's a June bug I, I, I would say that I would say that that may be an indication that your rules encourage that for one reason or another encourage that type of play and that you should basically discourage it by making double crossing people more rewarding and cooperating, less rewarding than it you, is. You know, you know why our rules encouraged that? Because we were seeking greater realism. The more we sought realism, the more players sought peace. Of course, because war is incredibly destructive of resources. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One of the things I've been writing into the new rules is a realism that I think is important that was entirely absent. When an army passes through a territory, it shreds it. It shreds it. <laughs> yep. This basically equates to. You cannot peacefully march your army through someone else's territory. Yep. It yeah. simply does not happen. Because yeah. of all the theft and raping and burning and pillaging yeah. so, that happens. So far, our, yeah, we, we found our tools in forcing players to compete with each other to be restricted from removing the rules' capacity to cooperate. Like, you used to be able to give people permission to cross your borders. Yeah. Now, you can't. They can't. I'm still keeping in the ability to trade resources, but it's just... It's really hard to think of why you would want to do it, but I want the option available if you can conceive of something bizarre. But anyway, taking this back around to... Uh, and this actually comes to another thing that I think is is sort of an, an immature playstyle issue in the crunchier type games, is the players that don't understand that making a character that can drop an anvil on anything in one turn actually makes the game less fun, including for them. Well, I, they, the thing is, it does make the, it makes playing the game less fun for them, but they had their fun when they were making the character. Mm, this actually speaks a little bit... This is kind of interesting. This speaks to something that uh, Mark Rosewater uh, always talks about in Magic. Uh, Timmy, Johnny, and Spike. Yep. Because uh, Timmy is playing to play. Uh, Spike is playing to win. But Johnny is playing... To express something Open. about himself, and we have a Duncan. Hey, Duncan, Hello. what's up? I like that shirt too much. Hey, can you guess what game we're gonna play tonight based on the dice on the table? Oh man! All right. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you pull up the chair? Is there another chair, or do we have to? Yeah, that one. Yeah, I think it'll be easier to just get that one. Oh. <laughs> Seems like us trouble. Ooh, it had been indicated earlier that you were enthused about playing Mythender. Oh, I am. Okay. I am. No, I... We were waiting for you. Okay. Based on that. Cool. Yeah. So, somebody else was missing, I take it? Joanna and Kaylin? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, we were missing a lot of Yep, folks. it's a sausage fest in here. That's alright. You can't use that word. Stop denying my existence. For our listeners at home, I want to, uh... Apologize? Whoa, no. Whoa. Shut up. I'm not apologizing for anything. I actually want to... Uh, my wife has come up with a, a phrase that I think needs to be gotten out there. And as her husband, I need to do everything I can to support her and her genius idea. Vag pageant. Yes. As the alternate. 
is the opposite of sausage. Well, they're already an opposite of sausage fest. No, there is no. There isn't. Not clam fest. No, that's fest. I mean, you can jam out with your clam out, but I don't know that there's really a clam festival anywhere. Perhaps in Nantucket. No wait, Heretics, stop. Stop. Bed pressing is pretty fabulous. Yeah, it, it is. Use it in your everyday lives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you'll Surely you will have occasions to yeah. say it to people you meet on the street. Yep. So, oh, so Johnny, Johnny's the one who what plays to express himself. So he's so it's in making the character that can drop an anvil. That person has already won, and therefore, yeah, they are simply demonstrating that they've already won to everyone else at the table when they crush the monster in one well, round. Well, they, they also, also don't have to be able to drop an anvil. Like I, we can do all sorts. I know of I didn't hear the beginning of this conversation, but I was applying the three magic archetypes to D and D characters, right? Because Conrad, Conrad is like <laughs> Super Johnny in D and D also, and you know while some of his characters were like Dex tanks that were preposterous in my D and D campaign, he just took a fourth edition wizard and caused it to immobilize everything at all points in time. If something was ever mobile, <laughs> he was having a bad day. <laughs> no damage was done. But they, so so yeah. So I mean, when I talk about dropping an anvil, it's not just the Amy Tomiko drop two hundred damage on someone in one round. It's also the stun lock a guy forever. I can just keep stun locking you, or it is the I, everything I do knocks you prone, and if you get up, I knock you prone again. You know, it's the it's the removing a monster from the battle uh, so that no one else has any fun, including the DM. The PFS guys were complaining about um, charm lock. The what guys? The P- Pathfinder Society guys. Mm. PFS. Yeah, they've had a problem recently with charm lock, where they charm everyone. I don't. Oh. <laughs> like but, the, like the spell. But yeah. I've seen nice Pathfinder Society players. Yeah, I play Pathfinder occasionally when I have time. No. I find myself wondering if. I, mean, I think that all of us here probably share a preconception as far as that evolution of the of the role player, especially with respect to D and D player, that they start off, you know, with sort of a video game mindset, and then they do that for a while, and then they, you know, start start to become a little bit more story centric, um, where instead of building a character who wins, they're building a character who inspires. They're building a character who's interesting, and then you go from there, where you're building a character who's interesting, to building. A, or you know what, compelling is the word I should say. Yeah, a yeah. character who's compelling. compelling. I like that word. And then they go from there to building a story that's compelling. Um, where, for example, where their character I've seen, may yeah. lose. Well, as part of it is an interesting part of that story. Um, Rev Doltish, yeah, was really not a very compelling character, but I feel like he told a compelling story. Yeah. Uh, he was the wild elf barbarian in the uh, Savannah Greyhawk campaign. That I right. Anyway, um, I, but I find myself wondering if that's just because that's where D&D starts you. Like, do players who start on some other different system, like White Wolf, for example, because I feel like I've seen this with White, you know, just as a person who sells White Wolf, I feel like I've seen this in White Wolf players, like, they follow a, a kind of similar pattern, strangely, even though White Wolf well, tries White, to start you off in a real different place. No, but, but White Wolf... White Wolf really. mechanically is the same as D anD D. It's just the it, it try it, White Wolf is trying to be what a lot of the story games are, but mechanically it's D anD D. So it is still starting you off at the same place where mechanic where it pays to have a machine gun in White Wolf, just because you can just kill everything. Do you think a story gamer would go the other direction? Yeah, I mean, I, and I think in fact a lot of story gamers. Um, one of the big problems going from very story light, very rules light games like Fiasco and getting people into more crunchy games is that a lot of the times they have no idea how to engage the crunchy part of the mechanics to do the thing they want. So they get in there and like, I built this cool character, and then the character is incapable of, of actually doing anything in the game because the mechanics don't let them, and they 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 haven't figured out how to make those two things come together. Um, now that doesn't mean that you can't just live. See, there's the other thing too. If you're just coming to Delve Knight or or Encounters or whatever, and you're just fighting battles, you could have a perfectly fun time with D and D and just be like, I want to win. I want to fight and I want to win. I'm going to make cool mechanical characters that do neat things. Just like you can just play games like the Adventures of Beatrice Henrietta Bristol Smythe DBE and Fiasco and Durance and a bunch of these other games, and the most complex thing you'll ever do is roll two d six. And you don't have to 
you'll never you you never get to the point where you're mastering any sort of mechanics because you don't because those are the, not the things that you enjoy. I think you can kind of I think both of those things can kind of happen. Unfortunately, I don't think we really got to explore the subject in the depth I kind of wanted to. But I feel like maybe we should get started on Mythender now. That yeah. is there anything else that anybody wants to add? I, I think. Uh, for your benefit, Duncan, the conversation was on the evolution of a player's play style. Um, I was ta- I was at the store earlier talking to uh, Jacob, mm-hmm. and he was talking about how he uh, wanted to join the the role playing game Click that mm-hmm. uh, that was me, Dave, Will, Heiko, Vianney, uh, and he felt like they were not accessible to newer players. And not not as not in a manner of an insult. We just seemed like we had you know been through so many wars that he couldn't relate to us. Um, we seen some stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. Already are completely fluent in the language, and are inscrutable to mere mortals. Well, it wasn't just that, but we are really good. Games. We also played differently. Like we played fourth edition very differently than he than, than, than mm-hmm. people who are just picking it up. You see what I'm saying? Like, there is a difference right. in our style, and I was talking about how I wonder if that's simply a function of playing a given system longer, or if it has more to do with where you come from. Like, Will, for example, is a story game guy. The, the One Piece campaign was the only 4th edition game he'd ever played in. He just kerplunk into 4th edition, and he kept playing it like a story game. Well, I'm an actor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, I, I enjoy story games a little bit more than I do crunchy games for that reason. Thespian, if you will. And I, I, I think I'm a person like I think like Yanni or like you, where the crunchiness does appeal to me. Duncan too. Uh, I like both. I can go in there and play like an I want to win game. And in fact, that was actually a lot of the Delve Knights was like that was actually like a like Dave, Dave, you need to just back it off a little there <laughs> because your striker defender controller is a little too over the top. Was that that sword mage? <laughs> the sword mage wasn't that bad. Yeah, oh. it couldn't be a sword mage. The wardens were typically the really bad ones because the wardens are black holes. Yeah, but uh, um, there was also the uh, uh, there was a. But we even talk about those characters differently because we're talking about the sword mage, the wardens. Yeah, because it's a different context. Exactly, exactly. It's the context of playing a board game, basically, as opposed to the mechanics are what's interesting because you'll never have that character again. Well, you know, it doesn't have any narrative depth. I never talked about I never talked about Bjorn yesterday as a fighter, my fighter that I played that one time. It's always Bjorn yesterday, or that Noel Archer who we only played when we beat that one uh, layer assault with me and Heiko. And I was that to me that character is always going to be Shig the Bow. So, well, some of them I, I I don't remember off the top of my head what I called my you know dude made of ice who was just like. Freeze, you know, like or my pirate. I love my pirate. I guess he was a rogue. I think that was a thing. <laughs> it seems like a thing. But I got arr. <laughs> I get to sneak around. And I don't remember things. that. I don't remember who was running at that point. Um, he came out during the uh, Metroid. Is it Metroid? Uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh, segment of Delve Knight. Uh-huh. Yeah, Which made him extremely out of place. Yeah, well, it was Wait, more like the what? session was out of place. That extremely characters. out of place. Wasn't Metroid like full of space pirates? Yeah, but he was like a pirate pirate, like right off a boat. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, have you even seen Firefly? What? Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. And then there was uh, what was his name? Uh, Louis. Louis. With what's her name? Drops your cigarette. <laughs> yeah. What? Martha, I think. Yeah, Martha, you dropped your cigarette. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> And I think he was an artificer. That, that, that was a, yeah. He tossed you a thermos of coffee, and that was his. That was, that the, was, that his, was the uh, the wildly <laughs> reskinned character. Yeah, Louis the mechanic. After, yeah, Louis, that was what he was. Louis the mechanic. See, so I tried to. I had his, that, that poor kid who was his like first sidekick at low level, who just went out there and got murdered. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so like, like, like when I when I put my mind to it, I'd prefer to play a character like a colorful character like that than. My sword mage. Hmm. You know, even uh, games uh, that are just short, I'm not entirely thrilled with. Like, one-session games, I have a hard time with. Really? Yeah. Really? I, I, I really your seatbelt, because yeah. we're about to play one. Yeah, well, I, this this is fun because I've got the right mentality for this particular game. I'm set up with it. But 
I like big long arcs for my characters yeah. and for for the entire world around uh, around everything you, in you, a game. You like to be able to imagine an audience becoming emotionally invested. I like HBO well, a he, lot. The thing about it is, <laughs> I asked. I don't him, have to give so much. Actually, here's here's a here's an interesting <laughs> thing because uh, we had this conversation in the store once, and I think it's really interesting. Everybody plays games. Everybody gets a different payout, but like largely, especially with story games, there's like don't break my rights, There's Jeff. often like one specific payout, and I remember you saying specifically, well, that well, I mean, I say I play games to feel things. I play games to experience. Mm-hmm. You play games because it's like you said it's like watching a TV series, mm-hmm. especially like the apocalypse yeah. and stuff. You know, I don't know what the rest of you like what it, what it is for you. The if you had to sum it up. I don't know. The first thing that came to mind is wrong, but it's, uh, it's to wreck up the place. <laughs> Obviously. Sometimes that's fun, though. So it's, yeah, to let I mean, a, it's to let a repressed feeling out. Yeah, not really, because that's, that was the first thing I thought, but it's not really right. Well, you wouldn't I mean, some. like, that's not what Mr. Silver does at all. No. It's, but it's what Absinthe did. So. Yeah. Silver could wreck up the place. I think, for me, to be honest with you, for me, wrecking up the place is a close second. Like, I play characters who are either, like, super dramatic or blunt instruments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we have Ophelia and Amy in the One Piece campaign. Most of the characters I played at Gen Con were basically gunluggers. <laughs> so. I never thought of... Oh, let's get... Yeah, no, I was just saying, I, I like um, variety. I, I play games because I like games, and role-playing games are no exception. And I'm really digging the whole story game aesthetic that I've been able to uh, immerse myself in lately. But that's not to say that I have stopped liking Pathfinder or 4E Crunch or even frickin' D&D with no A on it. Um, <laughs> you know, it, 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 the system... If the system does what it promises it's going to do, I probably like it. Like, one of the few games I dislike is White Wolf, because it says at the beginning, oh, this is a storytelling game. Now here, roll these dice and pick all these stats, and oh, did we say something about storytelling? Forget that. Just, um, just pick a machine gun. That, that's yeah, the right day. That's yeah, the right answer. No, um, <laughs> but, like... You can't use machine guns. You know, GURPS is crunchy, and it's not apologetic about it. The When we had a GURPS campaign, the unofficial motto of the campaign was there's a rule for that. Because um, <laughs> it's GURPS. And we mostly just ignored all of the rules and like told a story. But what, what about you, Blake? What's, uh, what's your payoff? I was thinking about that, actually, and I was like, wow, you know, I'm, I'm sure I asked myself this question at number, a number of points, and I probably come up with a different answer every time and then forget it. But uh, what I was thinking about this time is I was like, okay, let me look back over my favorite characters and what it was that I liked about them. And it's kind of sad, but I think that the thing that I play D&D for is for the social interaction, for the, the, the emotional interaction between the characters. I play a D&D character so that I can relate to, so that I can pretend to be an imaginary person who can relate and be related to by other imaginary people. Because <laughs> in reality, it just ain't happening. I, I actually will second that, because it it's nice to know that, like, oh, if my character fucks up the relationship with uh, him and Blake's character... Blake's not going to suddenly hate me unless it's because I did something really dicky using the game game rules. Or if you're oh, really good at it. I think a lot of people I think a lot of people like play out their deep I mean this is a discussion we've had offline to even more extent that I don't think we're going to have on radio no. but like <laughs> no. But like yeah, I mean like when I when I actually mentioned the first time I actually mentioned that to you about my motivation, you're like, you know, like I, I'm like I wonder why that is. It's like look, you're bored with your life, Dave. That's, that was your answer, and it's true. Oh, I said that. Yeah, yeah that's, it's how totally I, how true. Insightful. <laughs> <laughs> like, like my my daily life, I sit in front of a computer all day. I see my wife when she's not working. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, I actually have lots of adventures, but I want to have adventures all the time. And you know, this is a way to have different adventures, emotional adventures. When I think back on it, my favorite characters do not overlap with my favorite play experiences. My favorite play experiences were Riker, Thelonious, Shig the Bow. Because, yeah, because my favorite play experience is to have a partner. Yes. Anytime I've partnered with another person at the table and we've been like a one-two combo guys, that's my favorite 
play experience. And, and now and that you're getting to play out sort of a trope too. You're getting to play out because you have your little story arc between yeah. the two of you. You know. I also like buddy cop movies. There you go. <laughs> and for exactly that reason. But I, I love having great chemistry with one other person at the table. I mean, having great chemistry with everybody is certainly great. But when you have great chemistry with one other person at the table, that's and, a and I can see you trying to do that because I remember, like, like in the good campaign. Oh yeah, yeah, in the good campaign we had a thing. Well, we were brother-in-laws, yeah, so right. you know, I mean, like brothers-in-law, I guess. Which, which that was a great that was a great dynamic. It there. certainly accentuated the story. Yeah, it made it a lot of fun. Like, and I think that's a technique that you can use in any game is that find another character that your character has something in common with and, like, form a friendship, form a bond, or even form a rivalry, you know? I think, it, I wish, I wish, I wish we, the Amy and Tomoko thing got more screen time during the, that was uh, great. I don't know, I felt like I gave it some screen time. I think we needed scenes. We were hungry for scenes. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, it just wasn't that type of game. Maybe we'll pick up the One Piece campaign again as a story game. <laughs> I don't think we'll pick it up as a story game, but we can certainly call One scenes. Piece World. One Piece World. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I, I, I keep trying to work on this. <laughs> um, all right, well, does anyone else have anything they want to... I've been sitting here thinking about why I play games, the, the, the real reason. And I think that, honestly, the real reason for me is to see what happens. Yeah. To you observe the effects. <laughs> then you're doing it right. You're the only one. <laughs> Set a thing on fire and see how the flame spreads. There you exactly. go. To fuse. Very see cool. what happens with wreck out the place. Well, what is uh, what is doing it right? <laughs> I'm kidding. The, the, and the, that is for the next podcast. No, 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 no it really no, is. Yes. The, uh, oh, yes. the, the, the whole the, the whole like one of the directives in, a, in all the apocalypse world games is play to see what happens. So if you if you're doing the things that Vincent Baker tells you to do, theoretically you're playing the game correctly. If if everybody at the table has fun, you're doing it right. It doesn't yeah. matter what you're doing. If everyone's yeah. having fun, you're doing it right. And, and he would if, argue he would argue that he would argue that's true. But you just might not be playing Apocalypse World. But that's okay. He wants you to have fun. He doesn't care if you play Apocalypse World. This podcast is fully copyrighted by its hosts. Visit us at podcastmagicmissile.com. I Podcast Magic Missile, attacking the darkness since 2012.